Thanks for tuning in to Biblical Talk with Pastor Jay for well-being in body, soul, and spirit. As we spend between about 15 to 30 minutes exploring lessons of God, I enjoy raising occasional questions as we reason together. And your responses, including any suggestions on the topics, are always welcome and they are extremely helpful. Let's explore the subject when faith meets God's grace. That is taken from the Gospel of Mark, the second chapter, and the first 12 verses. And you can also find it recorded in the Gospel of Luke, the fifth chapter, and the 17th through the 26th verse. And as often my custom, I'll read the section of Scripture just to give us a background. And then I'll take uh, a short period of time of just reflecting on it and sharing some thoughts that I think will be of value to you as you move through your busy days. Now, in that Gospel of Mark, uh, beginning in that first verse, it reads, And when he, speaking about Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralegic man carried by four men. And when they could not get through or to get near him, speaking about Jesus, because of the crowd, they removed the roof from above him and made an opening. And when they let him down on the bed in which the paralegic laid, Jesus saw him, and he saw, the record says, their faith. And he said to the paralegic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there and questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralegic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralegic, I say to you, rise, take up your bed, and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed or his cot, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. As I began to look at that section of Scripture and think about what I wanted to share in this podcast, the first thought that always comes to me, particularly here, 
is a fact that we do not live in the days of Jesus when he walked on the earth, but we are part of the kingdom of God on earth. In fact, we of the church share the responsibility and the pleasures of modeling Christ-like living. And I can already imagine some of the looks on your faces. I can imagine some of the thoughts in your mind. I can see eyebrows being raised and others that may be smiling, asking the question, does the church really model Christ-like living? Do we really care and minister to each other? Those are important questions that we really have to ask one another, not only for ourselves, but for those that are around us and are real observers of the kinds of lives that we're living. The Bible often presents the best of us when exercising genuine biblical faith, trust, and obedience in Jesus Christ. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That comes from John, the 15th chapter, and the 10th through the 12th verse. There are four uh, characteristics, four groups of people that I believe that this section uh, addresses. Church members, if you would, uh, that suggest about how people some in the church respond to things today. First is a paralyzed man who, in verse 3, has no power or ability of moving. Yet, in verse 12, it says, immediately getting up, rolling up his bed, or portable cot, walks and goes home. This man put his trust in what Jesus said. He acted on the authority of Jesus' words to forgive his sins and provide the miraculous healing power of God in his life. He could have dwelled on his past and current condition. Instead, his thoughts were on Jesus and what he said. Today, what is of particular interest is what the four groups and Jesus represent to the church today and, of course, to us. The disabled man represents those who come with genuine needs looking for help. What excites me, even in the discourse of this, is being able to read afterwards many of your reactions to the church today. The Holy Spirit knew that we would hold each other accountable to God's standards. So the Spirit of God guides the biblical writers who write in their own personalities and styles. The Holy Spirit also knew there was no perfect persons except Jesus Christ. Yet our heart's desires should be to follow Christ 
by caring for each other in God's love. In the Gospel of Mark today, the scripture tells us that Jesus was back in Capernaum, staying in the home of two of his disciples named Peter and Andrew. This was Jesus' common practice when in the area. And on this occasion, a large crowd gathered at Peter and Andrew's house, listening to Jesus talking about the kingdom of God and who he is. The people had filled the entranceway and the outer court. So four companions who were assisting this disabled man created an opening in their roof, the roof of Peter and Andrew's, and lowered him on a cot before Jesus. Now in Luke, the fifth chapter and the 17th verse, it says the Pharisees were there. So between the two Gospels, we know that the Pharisees and scribes were present and complained about Jesus' claim of forgiving one's sins. They were right in knowing only God can forgive sins. But they were wrong because they missed the bigger picture about what Jesus was saying and what he was representing to them. The healing power of God and his forgiving of sins were signs that were foretold in the Old Testament of the promised coming Messiah or Savior in the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus also complicates the matter in a way by introducing a new term in their hearing, saying the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. The Son of Man was not a new term. It's in the Old Testament. But it was never associated with divine healing or the forgiveness of sins. When John the Baptist was troubled in prison, filled with the doubt, he sent his disciples to Jesus with a question, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered the disciples in this way, Go and tell John what you have heard and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Leopards are cleansed, and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That's Matthew, the 11th chapter, and the first six verses. Sadly, the second group, who can represent some religious leaders in the church today, they were more concerned about Jesus' claim to forgive sins than this paralyzed man who has now been set free. Jesus then reads their thoughts and feelings by saying, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Mark 2nd chapter verse 8. How would you feel? If spiritual leaders cared more about a limited interpretation of Scripture 
than celebrating a man who is made whole? That's an important question uh, that we have to think about as we witness before God and before others. We see the Lord's concern of the Pharisees and scribes meditating on negative thoughts. A counselor, a minister, a church leader would never encourage negative self-talk, knowing its effect on our health. The Pharisees and scribes were entering the misguided cycle of thinking the worst in Jesus. Their minds and feelings are locked in a pattern that keeps them from their salvation. What might happen if those meditating on negative thoughts and feelings would replace them with something more positive, ideas that build us up instead of hurting us? How about a scripture that says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. That's Philippians, the fourth chapter, and the eighth through the ninth verse. And so Paul is setting a standard of positive thinking by meditating on the authority of God's word. Another biblical reference comes from David in the Old Testament who says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And then it goes on to express some of the characteristics of those who do this. It says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. Psalms 1, those first three verses. Square season, scribes, practiced negative self-talk in their minds and in their hearts or their feelings. They were not saying it outwardly to each other. They were doing it on the inside of themselves. However, Jesus has a different perspective than these religious persons. He is more concerned about this man's physical, mental, and spiritual well-being. Therefore, the Lord forgives this man's sins and heals his physical body because Jesus thinks holistically. He sees these parts of our makeup working together, so he offers the idea of a comprehensive health. The third group of church goers or members in this case are the four companions who bring the man to the Lord. They demonstrate loving pastoral care. It was not easy. 
they had to resist the negative self-talk that could have came when they could not get through the crowd in the outer court. What they could do was consider a creative alternative for pastoral care. They made a favorable decision. They got him on and through the roof with an immediate, creative, and innovative plan. It was challenging, but it assisted in tremendous results. This type of pastoral care brings people closer together. There is no mentioning of roof damage by the homeowners or Jesus. What would you do if someone began removing your roof during Bible study? The scripture does not address it because it's really not the main point of this narrative that's in the scripture. There are no complaints about the church helpers' strategies in this crowded space. What is worth mentioning is their effective communications, their committed holistic thinking, and their strategy to help this man and to glorify God. They were looking at the bigger picture of this man's well-being. So they continued as helpers offering pastoral care to one in need. The fourth and last group of churchgoers are the additional observers celebrating Jesus' authority to forgive sins and heal paralysis. How would you describe a church like this today? Would you share a story like this with your family and friends? Perhaps a neighbor or other people that you may cross who need to hear a word of encouragement and the best of what the church should look like in our day-to-day -day living. The scripture does not record that one person made the difference. It records when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralegic, Son, your sins are forgiven, Mark 2 and 5. Could Jesus be suggesting to the fault finders and us today that are making a connection of what all of this may mean, could he be suggesting that there is a connection between one's sins and physical health? He does say, which is easier to say to the paralegic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk, Mark 2 and 9. What are some conclusions that we may draw from this that can be useful for us today? First, Jesus is declaring himself to be the promised Savior or Messiah mentioned in the Old Testament scripture. I know he uses the term Son of Man, but remember when he responds to John the baptizer, Jesus then refers to John who is asking about the Messiah or the Savior, the evidences that demonstrate who Jesus is. And so Jesus is declaring himself to be the promised 
Savior, or Messiah promised in the Old Testament scriptures. Second, he does show genuine biblical faith has favor or a positive standing with God's grace. Third, the four companions represent the best in us when caring for those in need. Fourth, it also suggests that when we look at people to not simply see where they are, as important as that is, but also to see what they can become when we bring them to Jesus, the ultimate pastoral caregiver. And then we should also monitor what we say to ourselves, especially about Jesus. And last, the church should glorify God and his creative, wondrous works in his people. How we celebrate the goodness of God, seeing his miraculous and creative powers in our lives and before others may be different. But all of us should have a sense of awe at the tremendous works that God does in the midst of us. Please respond to this text below. Share your thoughts on the church's holistic pastoral care and its effect on our well-being. Lastly, I want to leave with you today. 1 Thessalonians, the 5th chapter and the 23rd verse. In saying, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you and have a blessed day.